Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to this week's 1% Better and it's a 1% Better with a little bit of a familiar feel in that it's with a guest that I interviewed in early 2018, Josh Quigley. So he is one of the few that have come back on to the podcast as a round two I purposely targeted Josh for a second one because he has a lot going on in his life. He always has had that over the last number of years. That's why he was such a great guest first time around, telling his story about a failed suicide attempt and then figuring himself out or trying to figure himself out afterwards. He talks a little bit about that in this one. The first episode we did was episode 55 in early 2018. If you wanted to check that out, do so. This time around, we talked about his last two years and maybe more so around the last 12 months. Josh himself says for a while, even after that interview, he was unsure about what path he had to take in life. He was still confused with lots of things that were going on and still wasn't really living towards a purpose. Since then, and as you will hear, he certainly is on a very clear, well-defined path, setting long-term goals and dreaming big. Last April, he set out on his seventh attempt to cycle around the world, and this time around, he made significant progress. Lots of experience along the way, lots of learnings, but he's definitely at his most happy and content when he's on the bike and taking on new challenges. He nearly was killed. At the end of 2019, which you'll hear about, he miraculously survived and it's only made him more and more determined, more and more focused on his next steps and on his big goals. I really hope you enjoy this one. If you're a fan of Josh, you'll definitely get something out of it. If you've never heard of him before, you have now and you'll have a good listen here. Check out the one we did before as well. Definitely enjoy this one with Josh Quigley. Thanks for checking it out. Enjoy. Hey folks, welcome to this week's 1% Better episode and it's um, I think the second time in the 160 or 70 episodes that are out at this point that I've interviewed somebody twice. Um, so Josh, you're you're in a very small, unique club uh, uh, and uh, it's great to have you back onto the podcast. Delighted to see you and look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. I never realized this was the second time you've done that. So that's a nice honor for me. I appreciate that. No bother at all. So, Josh, just in case anyone didn't hear the first time we talked, which was in February, March 2018, two years, over two years ago, um, maybe just for a few minutes, can you give them a little bit of background about who you are and your story, I suppose, in, you know, in a few minutes up to around that point? Great question. So I will try and do this in the shortest time that I've ever done it in because of what I've obviously been on the podcast before. So in a nutshell, up until 2015, I was a, I was a guy who was pretty much obsessed by partying and drinking and drugs and living for the weekend. And that was my life up until the age of 23. Then at 23, I went through a breakup, which was quite intense, and I was in a really deep and dark depression. I was obviously drinking and doing a lot of drugs at the time, trying to deal with that, and that eventually led to me trying to take my own life, a suicide attempt in May of 2015. I was very lucky to survive that after crashing my car at high speed on the motorway, and it was a bit of a life-changing epiphany moment where I decided, you know, I need to... I need to change, I need to do something different. I decided to go sober and obviously stop drinking and living that life. And I was then inspired to get into cycling by Sir Chris Hoy and decided on a complete whim that I was going to try and cycle around the world. I spent one year on my first attempt at cycling around the world trying to do that. And basically after a year of cycling around Europe, 10,000 miles, 14 countries, I was, you know, the happiest and healthiest I'd ever been. I'd went from a guy who was really depressed, suicidal, overweight, unfit. I wouldn't even say I was an amateur cyclist because I wasn't, I wasn't even a cyclist. I just got into cycling and my first ever cycle was trying to cycle around the world. So I was completely in at the deep end. And, you know, obviously after spending a year living my life like that, I just completely transformed. and was just so changed in so many different ways. And I decided to quit that first attempt and come home because I felt that, you know, I'd kind of been job done, I'd got what I needed from it. And then that must have been round about the time, not long before that you and I first spoke. And 
when the time that you and I spoke, I think I was in one of my periods where I was trying to pretend that cycling wasn't my path and I was trying to do something different. And I think I was doing a lot of public speaking at the time and I was back home, but the bike was always calling me and I just I kept going back to it and kept stopping and kept going back to it. And I got to a position round about the beginning of 2019 where I'd had about six attempts at trying to cycle around the world and never obviously completed it. And then I decided in April the 14th last year, 2019, that I was going to go for it one final time. And this time I was going to commit to it and I wasn't going to stop until I finished. And that, I suppose, give you a wee catch up on where we're at now and yeah, a little bit of my background for anybody who's just you know becoming aware of me now. Very good. Yeah, no, that definitely uh, su- summarizes the, the last episode, but people should still check that one out in more detail. Um, it was two years ago when we started chatting, and I was reading back through the notes. Um, you had, not long prior to that, done the, the Camino walk, I think, and um, you were back home, and yeah, you had ditched kind of the idea of the cycling, and it, it, you said that you were happy there, you had goals for the year around health and happiness, which obviously didn't change but i got this kind of sense that you were happier when you were moving and when you were when you were traveling when you were not in the one space and i think it was that you wanted to give glasgow it's glasgow or is it well you're you're where's your hometown it was it was edinburgh edinburgh Edinburgh, right you wanted to give that a go at the time and you just commented there though you were lying to yourself right you were fooling yourself what was the point uh that you realized that and what was the, the trigger point to say I, I got to stop kind of doing this because I obviously follow you online and I've seen, I could see you almost in your posts going over and back a little bit about it. Yeah, just just for some context for me as well, had, had you actually, you know, from, from the point we last spoke, had you actually kept up to date or followed any of it? I, I did. I've kept up to date, re- relatively speaking, and for the, I think, for I was pretty closely aligned for, for a few months afterwards, and it just seemed, I think shortly after we talked, you went to maybe somewhere in South America for a while, was it? or I went to, I went to Asia, I went to Nepal. Nepal, yes, and, and, and I know you went for a while, and then you came back, and it just... It just seemed like you were maybe not clear, or you were fighting battles that you weren't sure which way, to, which path to go. And but the cycling seemed to be parked in in one way. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it was in between. You know, so I finished the first attempt in April two thousand and seventeen, and between April two thousand and seventeen and. April of 2019 that was that was two whole years I basically had two whole two whole years of just being very indecisive and just being just to be really honest I was just lost and I think that the reason why I was like that was that you know you might think about the life that I had before cycling it was you know it was you know it was a it was like a, a classic sort of a young British guy's life where, you know going to the pub all the time and drinking blah 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 and then I went away and had this totally life-changing experience where I spent a year cycling around Europe on my own, sleeping in a tent, being hosted by people, you know, seeing so much of Europe, reading all these books, meditating. I just had this life-changing experience. And then I just came back home. And it's a little bit like if for anybody who's ever seen the TV show Lost, where, you know, the, the story of Lost in a nutshell is, you know, these guys get, there's a plane crash and they get stuck on a desert island and they're there for months and months and months. And then they finally get off, but there's this one guy who spends his life trying to get back. Mm. And that's a little bit like what happened to me in the sense of I had this amazing life-changing experience of cycling around the world for one year. And then I came back home and nothing else quite compared to that. And I was just desperately searching for something. And so that there was a real two-year period where I was just really lost and I was searching for something. I had I didn't feel like I had much purpose. And I was just trying and testing and doing loads of different things. And you're, you're right in what you say. It was t- to watch it, it must have looked pretty erratic and pretty crazy. And at times, like, I'm sure people were thinking, like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, he's just all over the place. And, and I'll admit that I was. So that that's where I was. And then, but then everything changed for me last year when I decided, right, I'm going to cycle around the world again. And this time I'm going to, this time I'm going to commit to it and I'm not going to stop until I finish. And that was, that was a real, you know, there's been a few turning points in my life and real dis- deciding moments where things have really changed for me. Obviously, like, the breakup was one, the suicide attempt was another one. Being inspired again to cycling was one, but arguably I would say that there's none greater than the decision I made last year 
to go for cycling around the world and just commit to it and finish it because the problem that I had in the beginning was that I, was, I never committed to the challenge and it was just I, I was never doing it because I love cycling and I was doing it as basically I didn't know what else to do it was like a it was a journey for me it was a, it was like a, it was a tool something that I used to feel better so then every time I felt better I would just come home and I wouldn't really care about it anymore but I decided to do something really different and the final time I thought do you know what I'm just going to commit to it this time I'm not going to stop until I finish and then after I'm finished it I'll see how I feel and what I want to do and that that's that's what happened Mm. and the word commit you've said that many times in the last few minutes and it's really standing out that it's such a strong powerful word and it's a value when you kind of you know it's all or nothing like you're all in or, or, or all out I guess was there was there and I know we talked about kind of coaches and mentors before was there somebody that kind of helped you realize that you need to commit Josh to something to this this that'll give you purpose what was the um factors that kind of made you realize yeah commitment is what it's all about do you know, there was no, there was never another person or anybody that made me realise. I think it was, I basically just, it was myself. I realised myself and I basically had to had to look in the mirror at myself and I realised that, you know, I just became this guy who was known for being flaky and indecisive and, you know, I was like, the, I was essentially the boy who cried wolf and I'd, I'd been on social media so many times telling people I was going to cycle around the world and I never done it. And, you know, I would go away and cycle for a few months and then I would come home and I would go and cycle for a few months and I'd come home. And I basically got to a point in April last year, 2019, where I'd had six attempts around the world. I'd had two previous ones in the start of 2019. And I had a situation where I basically I'd pulled out of the challenge once again after starting it after just a couple of weeks and I'd let down sponsors, I'd let down people who had supported me and it was a really bad time for me. I was getting a lot of stick online and social media as well and you know I'll admit it, I probably deserved it so I'm not complaining about it. And I realised that you know this was for, for some reason I basically the sponsor even though I'd pulled out the challenge they still wanted to support me and they still wanted to sponsor the cycle. And I was basically at a crossroads in my life where there was only really two options for me in April last year. I could, there was a company wanting to sponsor me, Alexnell, who are still with me right now and support me for the last year. They were wanting to support me to go around the world, the thing that I tried six times in my life and clearly some part of me wanted to do. Or the other option was I was just going to have to go and get a job. And, you know, I'd, I'd been fighting that. You know, I'm, I'm a purebred entrepreneur like you know never had a real job in my life just you know businesses in high school you know self-employed all my life just always had businesses and I was at a point where just you know I just I'd run out of options it was like there's nothing left for me to do the only one thing for me is now I either get a job which I've been fighting my entire life or I cycle around the world so there really wasn't a choice to be made and I thought do you know what I'm going to do this time I'm going to do something different I'm going to make a commitment which means I'm going to cycle around the world and I'm not going to stop until I finish. Does not matter what happens when I'm away. Does not matter what I think. Does not matter what I feel. Does not matter what ideas I have. You finish this cycle and that's it. Because what has happened to me so many times in the past on those previous attempts is I would, for example, be cycling somewhere in the world in Europe and I'd be doing it for a few weeks and it'd be going well. And then I would just decide you know what I don't want to do this anymore based on a feeling or based on an emotion or you know based on the bad weather or being lonely or being cold or anything that could have went wrong in that day and I would just stop because of that and so by making the commitment to it what that means is that you know none of that stuff gets in the way anymore you know I'm going to make a commitment to cycle around the world and I'm not going to stop and what that done for me it was just it was just so life-changing because you know what that done for me in so many ways was it was a consistency I'd done something consistently over a long period of time and got really good at it. And, you know, if you think about all the things that I've done over the last few years, stopping and starting and stopping and starting and stopping and starting, you're never going to get better at something if you're just constantly stopping and starting things. But if you can pick one thing and put all your time, all your energy, all your desires, all your attention into that one thing, you will get really fucking good at it. And, that that was the the life changing decision for me was commitment and I've I've done it again you know I've done it now even though I'm not cycling around the world now I'm still committed to cycling as a sport as a lifestyle as a 
as my thing. And, you know, even though I'm not able to do the things I'm trying to do right now because everything that's happening in the world, cycling's still my path. And so I'm committed to my training. I'm committed to everything to do with cycling. Mm, and I can see that following you on Facebook and whatnot, you're doing an awful lot of training and, and po- posting it, which which is great. What, what what stood out for me, though, and, and I think this is from my own journey as well, when you remove options, things get simpler, right? So if you don't have multiple cho- choices, it, it just makes things very easy and it, it seems like that's the epiphany you had you committed there is no other plan b or c or d it makes it a lot more straightforward it doesn't mean it's easy but it's it's uh simpler if you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. so one of the big things for me at the moment is that you know so i've i've made a commitment to cycling for the next 20 25 years so, and, and i know that's my path i know that's exactly what i'm going to do I know how it looks. I know exactly what the goals are. I know the plan. I know everything, right? And that is the plan, and I've committed to it. And what that does for me now is it just, as you mentioned, it just it's removed all other options. There's there's nothing to think about. There's nothing to decide. There's nothing to ponder. There's nothing to question. And where that really, you know, where that really has becomes effective is that you know the amount of times that I've been on the bike in the past, and it's cold and it's windy, and my legs are sore. I'm thinking why the hell am I doing this? Like, why are you putting yourself through this? See, now I still have all those thoughts, but it's not even a question. It's, this is the path. And cycling is my path. Cycling is my life. Cycling is my future. Cycling is just absolutely everything in my life. And by having that commitment to it, there's not, there's not even any point thinking about anything else because I've actually taken, I've actually taken that choice away from myself now. Like I, I don't have a choice anymore. Cycling is my path, and I've committed to it. And a lot of people might that may sound extreme on the surface, but the the thing that it does for me actually it provide, provides me with so much happiness and contentment because I've spent. If you think about that two year period where I was just lost and searching all the time, the biggest source of pain for me in that period, and it was a privileged problem I had, I realized that is that I was just constantly thinking, like, what am I going to do? Like, where am I going to put my time? What am I going to do in my life? Mm-hmm. But see, now I don't have that. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I, I know exactly who I am and exactly what I'm doing in my life. I know my path, I know my career, I know how it looks, I know how I'm going to do it. And that's it. And it's just, it's just so much happiness and contentment from not even having to think about it or question what am I going to do? Mm. and one other point you mentioned of uh, i suppose you've, you've tried it six times before and it was the seventh time and when you started the first time you had no previous experience with cycling I've, I've talked to other people in the past that had i don't know alcohol addictions and they've gone to rehabs and stuff like that and although they've lasted a week or two or three weeks giving up something whatever it might be gambling and then they've fallen off the wagon and gone back to, to to whatever they were addicted to the next time around that they try to cut it out it's that little bit easier it's they're, they're that bit better at it so i don't think i'd imagine there's no way you would have been able to commit fully the seventh time if you hadn't maybe failed the six, six times before that would that be would that be fair to say yeah definitely and i think the best way to to demonstrate that point would actually be by talking a little bit about alcohol and the way that I managed to to stop drinking. Because, you know, I've tried, similar to the, the amount of times that I tried to cycle around the world, I've also tried to stop drinking so many times as well. And, you know, that, that started for me in 2015, just after the suicide attempt. And, you know, I tried and failed so many times. Like I stopped drinking in 2015, then I started drinking again. The same happened in 2016, 2017, 2018. I got to the 6th of October on 2018 and I'd had another failed attempt at sobriety. I think I'd done about another six months and then I started drinking again. And the best way to put this is that, you know, there's there's going to be pain no matter which one you pick, right? See, if you keep on drinking, there's going to be pain of that, you know, the hangovers, the things you do, the mistakes, the, the things that, how it affects your life. But there's also the pain of sobriety and the, the pain of trying to give it up. And I think what happened to me, and I think this happens to many people, is that I got to a point where the pain of not doing it became greater than the pain of actually doing it. And what, what I mean by that is that, see, when you've tried to stop something, you've tried to do something so many times and you've failed, you've failed again and again and again and again, you get to a point where the feeling, of you know you've failed again, it's just too painful that something within you just thinks, right, I'm doing it this time no matter what. And that happened to me in October of 2018. 
where I'd had another failed attempt. I'd started drinking again. And I remember waking up one day, it was a Sunday, 6th of October, and I just thought, how, how am I back here again? After all those six months, and I've done it again, and I thought, this is it. There's there's no way I'm, I'm doing it again. I'm just committing to it now. I'm making a commitment, sobriety. I'm going to just do one year, right? Because I always believed that if I could do one year, I would do it for the rest of my life. Because I think if you can do anything for a year, you can do it for five years, you can do it for 10 years. And I thought, just get the year done, and then we'll see what happens. Make a commitment. One year, that's it. And that's what I'd done, October the 6th, 2018. I said, I'm going to do one year sober. And I managed to do it. I got to I got to October, October the 6th, 2019, a year sober. I was actually in Australia at the time when I was cycling around the world. So it was quite a nice milestone for me to be there as well. And, you know, obviously after that year, there was absolutely no way or no interest in going back. And I'd, I'd came too far. And so you're absolutely spot on with that point. And I think that sometimes when you've, Sometimes to fail at something so many times when you clearly want to do it, you'll just get to a point where it's it's almost it's almost like it's easier to not do it than it is to do it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. And uh, well done on that. I think the last time we talked as well, I had given up alcohol for 2018 as well and went for 2018 and 19, gave it up for two years. Uh, I have had a couple of glasses of wine in 20, 2020, but I think that's pandemic-related, <laughs> but it's not too bad. Um, so so talk to me about the this attempt then. So it started in, in April last year. Just some of the kind of key experiences along that journey so far. I know there was a few that stood out, but maybe talk to me about a couple of them and some of the, some of the kind of takeaways you've had from that. Yeah, there's a couple of really standout moments from last year. So obviously I made the decision April the 14th, I'm going to cycle around the world, I'm not going to stop till I finish. That was, you know, the life-changing decision. Set off from Edinburgh, six days later I arrived in London and my bike got stolen. So that was pretty pretty big moment, just just six days in and the bike's gone. Managed to get another bike, it's a really long story, but managed to get another bike and interestingly it was... My, my, my previous bike was called Braveheart mm-hmm. and somebody suggested that I call the new bike Robert the Bruce, which was really quite sentimental and special for me because, you know, when you, when you read up and research the story of Robert the Bruce, there's a really famous story of him, him trying and failing many times to, to lead Scotland to independence. And one of the, one of the stories in particular says that there were six attempts and then on the seventh attempt, he got over the line and that's one of the famous stories and I just it just felt like it was really it was meant to be for me and I was now going for that seventh attempt and I now had this bike called Robert the Bruce so when I was leaving London like although I'd made the commitment in Scotland six days earlier I was even more committed because I felt like that was just another sign that you know I'd made I'd put that out there in the universe I'd made that commitment I'm going to do this no matter what I'm not going to stop until I finish and then although it might seem like a bad thing that your bike gets stolen only six days in I feel like the, the new bike coming to me and being called Robert the Bruce was almost like I took that as a major positive and it was almost like an affirmation and a, a confirmation that I was on the right path and I was doing the right thing. So that, that was a really big moment. And then from that point, there was a really big moment as well when I arrived in Paris. And as, as I mentioned a wee bit earlier, you know, I'd never, you know, I never really got into cycling because I was passionate about cycling. I was never, I was never really that interested in the distances of the miles or how far I was traveling each day. There was no there's no love for the athletic performance side of cycling. It was more just a vehicle for the for the journey that I was going on in my life. But when I was in Paris, I cycled down the Champs Elysees and was stood at the Arc de Triomphe, which is obviously one of the probably the most famous street in cycling. It's where the Tour de France finishes. It's where the to put the podium is and I don't know why but something just came over me that day and in that moment and I just I recorded a video but I basically stood in the shops at least and made a video that says you know um, I'll I don't know why but you know one day I'll I'll stand here as a world champion athlete and I, I don't know I don't know why I said it I really don't just something came over me that day and I just I was just so inspired to be there in Paris and just there's something about that street. It was just an energy I felt that day, and I thought, I'm going, you know, I'm going to become a world champion, even though I wasn't previously thinking about anything like that. And then ever since I left Paris, or down towards the Alps and going across the Alps into Switzerland, I just couldn't stop thinking about the Tour de France. And you know, I say that as a guy who I never followed the Tour de France. I was never really interested in cycling, but I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. 
and then I climbed up the Alps and I basically got to the top of one of the Alps and you know the Alps are obviously very you know symbolic and synonymous with the Tour de France and I remember just being at the top of the Alps that day just feeling like I was at I was almost at the highest point in Europe near Mont Blanc and almost similar to what, like the moment I had in Paris I just felt something came over me and I just I'd been thinking about the Tour de France for you know, for the whole week since Paris. And even though I was just a complete amateur, you know, beginner cyclist, I said to myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to win the Tour de France. And that's, that's, what, that's what I said. It was, it was completely crazy and completely mental at the time, but that's just what I felt in that moment. And, you know, I made a video saying that as well, and it probably seemed crazy at the time. And probably to a lot of people still seems crazy, but that's what happened. And then ever since going over the Alps and going through Paris and all those symbolic places of the Tour de France, I just just basically just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and dreaming about it and talking about it and thinking about it and reading about it and learning about it. And what happened off the back of that is that I went through being this guy at the start of 2019 who was, you know, was really unfit, was a wee bit out of shape again, you know, overweight, was struggling to cycle like 50 miles a day. And then I got to a point where I was, I really started to grow as a, as a cyclist and I started to just become this athlete and that, and that never been what it had been about for me. And, you know, and I got to the point where I started cycling like 100 miles a day and then 120 miles a day and 150 miles a day and then 200 miles a day and then a couple of days it were like 270 miles and it was just, it was just incredible and I think that, you know, the, the combination of making that commitment and being consistent at the cycling but also being in Paris and being up at the top of the Alps and stating that intention, it was just really powerful. And I think that just I grown and I grew, I grew so much off the back of that. And it was it was just life changing. And that that whole commitment thing about just keep moving forward every day, just because I was consistently doing something over a longer period of time, also underpinned and fueled by that intention to, you know, win the Tour de France and become a champion. It just it led to me becoming the the athlete that I am today, and, and I never envisioned that ever happening. Mm. Well, it's, it's like an amazing, obviously a, a very high goal, right? A BHAG, something that's extremely difficult to achieve. But I think, yeah, if you have the vision and you have belief, that that'll completely drive drive you on. As you said, you started becoming more of an athlete. Was was there a fitness, not a fitness regime, but a nutrition regime? Like, how were you? fueling your body were you learning on the go did you have anyone with you on the journey was anyone supporting you and helping you no so I, I was solo and unsupported so obviously I had sponsors and you know people back home that were you know supporting and providing loads of different things that helped me but in terms of the actual day-to-day it was just me out there in the road me my bike the, the few things that I had on the bike with me and in terms of nutrition if you look at my nutrition now now that I'm back home and, you know, I've got a kind of, like I'm now full, full-time professional athlete. This is what I said. I'm like full-time at this. So I've got a very, like my lifestyle looks very similar to what I prefer, like what the pros would look like in terms of what I'm eating, how I'm training, all that sort of stuff. But when I was cycling in the world last year, you know, I was cycling all those, you know, as I said, 150 to 200 miles a day. So I was burning anywhere from six to 8,000 calories a day. So the, the, the nutrition strategy was really just, basically eat as much as you possibly can and just eat at any opportunity because it was just burning so much and it's just so hard to to keep on top of that so you're, you're not really thinking anything strategic in sense of you know I need to eat these types of foods you're, you're on the go and you know you're going through China and Kazakhstan you know Georgia Azerbaijan places where you know I've not got access to my own kitchen it's just the food is the food so hmm. there wasn't anything specific but I was just, I was eating a lot and and now just even how realistic now that you know more about your body and i suppose the times you're doing and the the amount of um training you're putting in i know you're posting up different i suppose metrics on how how that's been measured like are you competitive would you be competitive in the cycling world now i'm interested to see like are are you good Uh, you know how has that come along yeah, well, that that's the amazing thing about now is that you know for for the last year, I'm just I'm just a guy cycling around the world, telling everybody's going to win the Tour de France, and there's no nobody really knows if if that's possible. Whereas now, now we, we know exactly where I am because we've you know we've got the data, we've got the numbers, and we can look at that. And so 
even, I've, I've never, the, the most crazy thing about the whole thing is I've never even raced before, mm. not once. So yeah. I'm, I'm completely, mm. I'm completely new at the racing, but I'm obviously, I can't race because it's all cancelled at the moment. But in terms of the numbers, for, for anybody who doesn't know, the way that domestic racing works in the UK, there's a cat system, which is like different categories of racing. And so, you know, there's cat five, cat four, cat three, cat two, cat one, the elites, and then it's the pros, the domestic pros. And then the level up from that, that's the top guys who are basically doing the Tour de France. Mm -hmm. And the, the best measurement of, you know, your power and your fitness and where you're at is probably your FTP, which is your functional threshold power. Right. So, that, so the guys on the Tour de France at the very top on the World Tour, their FTP, guys that are wearing that, like Chris Froome, for example, is about 6.25. And so that means he's 6.25 watts per kilo and I'm now at 4.8. So we can actually see like where I'm at. And, you know, 4.8 at the very beginning, it's not that far away. And, you know, yeah. this is, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not thinking that, for example, like you think about last year, I just go and cycle around the world in eight months, basically. I don't think I'm going to win the Tour de France in eight months. This is not a, mm -hmm. this is not a short term overnight thing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the next ten years. Like I'm, I'm working very long term. Yeah. And and that's that's the most important thing here. Is I'm I'm just at the very beginning. But the, the really the most important thing I think the thing that will set me apart for a lot of people is that I'm starting for this place now with this intention and this belief and these goals and that confidence and that's a really really special place to be because the thing that I've got right now is I've got the vision. I've got the self-belief, I've got the drive, I've got the determination, I've got the confidence, I've got the sponsors, I've got the support, I've got the fans, I've got all that stuff. The one thing, the only thing that I don't have right now is I don't have the form or the fitness or the racing, racing experience. And the amazing thing about that is that all the things that I've got, which I just outlined, that's going to lead to all the things that I've not got. Because starting from the place of having all that belief and the drive and the confidence, that's the most important thing. And when you start with that and you think about it and you dream about it and you put it out there every single day and then you put in the work and you train hard, you will eventually get there. But starting with the intention and the self-belief is the first part. And, and I've got that in abundance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like if you can keep that, that's the most important thing along the way. Because the other stuff, I guess, to get from FTP 4.8 to 6. Point whatever you mentioned to make those incremental improvements I presume there's well detailed plans you can measure that like you know I suppose from from comparing you to others that have gone up those levels how quickly can you move up those FTP levels what what sort of time frame are you looking at typically from experience and talking to other trainers yeah, so I've I've now got a coach, a company called Espresso Cycle Coach, and they've came on as sponsors, and they, they're now coaching me as well. So I have a cycling coach, and you know everything that I'm doing is very strategic. It's very thought out. You know, it's just, it's just a whole new world for me. Like I'm I'm used to just going out and riding my bike and doing it exactly how I want to do it, but now everything's really thought out. It's really planned. Doing a lot of interval work, a lot of high intensity work, which I've never done before. The thing that's really exciting for me, right, is that. If you think about where I was this time last year, I was just a few weeks ago this time last year, I was just starting off in that cycle. And I was basically at that point, I'd not been really in the bike for about just well over a year. I was just getting back to it. I wasn't really that fit. I wasn't that strong. I was a wee bit out of shape again. And I was, I was struggling in the beginning to do those, you know, 50 miles a day. And what I'd done over the period, the eight months, and the important thing about that eight month period as well is there were so many like periods where I got sick or I got ill or something went wrong so it was actually only about five months the actual cycling and it wasn't really consistent because it was so stop start with all the things that went wrong along the way for example when I was in Australia I had to come home to get a new passport when I was in China I had to stop for quite a while because I got ill I got sick and when I was in Azerbaijan as well you know there were so many things like that and basically this was a conversation I had with my coach um, a few weeks ago we we're talking about Basically, ultra endurance, which is what I was doing last year, which is, you know, like going out and riding 200, 300 miles a day. My coach said to me when we we're talking about it, he said, because I was saying to him, you know, I've, I've, what I'd done last year was I developed this amazing engine. Like, see my ability to, to go and ride those 200 mile days. Like, you would not believe how easy it is for me to go out and ride my bike for 200 miles now. Like, it's so, it's just such an easy thing for me. And if you think about that, didn't they, that didn't happen overnight. That was just, 
you know, I, I wasn't born with that engine. That was that was basically those eight months last year of building that. And we were talking about like ultra endurance and there's some of the some of the races and that that you could potentially do. My coach said to me that if he was to if he was to rate the top guy in ultra endurance as a ten, he would have said that in ultra endurance I was about a seven. And you know that that meant a lot to me that a very experienced, knowledgeable coach would rate me as a seven for my ability in ultra endurance. Bearing in mind that when I started that year, I would have probably been very low. And what he also said to me as well was, as we now start working towards racing and road racing, he said that if Geraint, Geraint Thomas, who won the Tour de France a couple of years ago, if he was a 10, he said, I would be about a one. So that's, for me, that's actually really amazing to hear because although it might not sound great that I'm only a one right now, I know what I'd done last year, mm-hmm. going from a one to a seven in eight months, right? And I believe I can do the exact same thing again with road racing. And the most exciting thing about this is that, you know, last year I was on the road on my own, completely unsupported, solo. You know, I was eating a lot of crap. Like I was I was having to eat at McDonald's and Burger King just because there was no, like there's literally nowhere else to eat. And I'm stopping at gas stations in America where there's nothing else but fast food. So you think about what I was able to do last year on my own, unsupported, eating crap food. Now, fast forward a year, I've now got the coach on board. I've got amazing sponsors. I'm living at home. You know, I've got I've got an amazing environment right now. I'm in, I'm in the best possible environment to train and to develop and to eat well and to rest well and to learn and all the stuff that you need to do as an athlete. Hmm. And so I know I know exactly where I'm going and how I'm going to do it. And I'm just I'm really excited for it. Hmm. It's very interesting that you have that whole environment around you now. So you're you're really going to see in the next six months where where you're at what your potential really is and how much of that you can realize so we maybe will come back in six months to a year and and try check back in you mentioned america though the kind of tragedy i suppose the disaster struck in in america towards the end of the year with about what is it three and a half thousand miles left to, to complete talk us through what happened there yeah so at the end of 2019 i was in america i was on the, the penultimate leg of around the world I had I was about just under fifteen thousand miles in. I would basically all I had to do was get across America, and that would be me finished circling around the world. After that, I had about a thousand miles from from back through Europe, back in Edinburgh. So it was, you know, the, the way I seen it in my mind when I arrived in America, it's get across America, and it's you know you're on the home straight, it's job done. Whilst going across America, I was in Texas, and one night I was riding on one of the highways quite late at night. And I was hit by a car at 70 miles an hour. And basically, you know, that's, that's, that's basically, yeah, I got hit by a car at 70 miles an hour. I think that tells you everything about what happened. And I was, it was just crazy thinking about it. But, you know, I, I obviously can't remember this, but once I got hit, I, I flew like 50 feet through the air, landed on the side of the road, got taken to the hospital on a helicopter. And then, yeah, that was the start of, you know, it might sound weird me saying this, but that was the start of one of the best experiences of my life. And I'm true, as, as I now, you know, this is now just over four months since that accident. And I'm now, I'm back on my feet, I'm cycling, I'm fit, I'm healthy, my injuries are fully healed. I'm putting in record performances and numbers on the bike. You know, I'm, I overcame it. And, you know, just to give you a, an insight into what I overcame, the injuries that I had from that was I had a fractured skull, I had a traumatic brain injury, I had a hole in my lung, like because I had seven seven broken ribs, and one of them went right through my lung. I'd broken one of the bones in the bottom of my back. I had a fractured ankle, a fractured heel, and a fractured shin. And I also required two major surgeries: one for the left ankle, and also one for a damaged an artery in my neck that wasn't taking blood to my my brain. So if you think about that, that's that's pretty intense and. Quite, quite remarkably or miraculously, I, I never had any permanent or lasting damage from that. And I think that, that the most surreal thing about it is that, that I actually survived. Like, if you think about, you know, getting hit by a car at 70 miles an hour is not really that common a thing in this country because we're not allowed on the motorways here. And we, and we very rarely travel beside cars going that fast whilst on a bike because you're usually not on a road that's going mm. that fast. But in America, bikes are allowed on the highways, and that's where I was. And right. so, you know, to get hit 70 miles an hour 
and lived to tell the tale is pretty remarkable. And the fact that, you know, the thing that I take from it that's been really so inspiring for me, I think, is that, you know, I, I never even had any cognitive damage, which is quite, you know, it's, it's so surreal because I spent two weeks in a rehab center in America once I was released from hospital because I still wasn't allowed to fly home. And it was actually, it was, a, it was a rehab hospital specializing in brain injuries. And I was, I was there because I technically had a brain injury. Like I had a traumatic brain injury, but I never had any of the effects of having a traumatic, but I never had any cognitive issues at all. And I was, and I was in that rehab center for two weeks and I saw a lot of people who had a lot of cognitive problems. And I, I remember the whole time I was there, I was just thinking, how, how has this happened? Like, how, how, how have I been so lucky? And, you know, I met so many of the families of people in there. And the reason why I tell you families is because I also met a lot of people in there, patients, but they, they weren't there. Like, they, and their families would admit that and say that to me, that, you know, a lot of the people in that rehab center, once you go through a traumatic brain injury, like, you know, their entire personality changes. Like some of them can't even remember their family. Some of them just don't even, they're, not, they're literally a different person. And there I was sitting there, you know, completely switched on cognitively. And it's just, wow, it's like, you know, and it's, I don't know what to say. It's just, it's just, it's, it's done so much for me because I think that the important thing about the crash was that, you know, from the, from the moment I was hit, and the moment I woke up in hospital and was conscious of what had happened, you know, there was never one part of me that doubted getting back in the bike. And I think that's that's so special to to have that mindset. And, you know, to the entire five weeks of hospital and rehab, I never once questioned or asked myself, will I get back in the bike and finish this challenge? It was just, it was such an automatic response. It was so deeply built into me that, you know, I'd made a commitment to cycling around the world. And so, when I'm fit and well, I will finish that challenge. And I think that as I as I talk now, as a guy who I would say I'm through that, like I'm over that, mm-hmm. I'm, my injuries are fully healed. And if I think about what that's done for me, like I already felt pretty superhuman at the end of last year after everything that happened. But right now, I just I just feel so bulletproof and so so indestructible in the sense of. What that what that really means, it doesn't mean that I think that nothing can ever go wrong in my life. Like I don't think that I'm, you know, somehow now shielded from adversity. It means that what that really means is that I can overcome anything and there's nothing that I will not overcome. And the fact that I was hit by a car at 70 miles an hour and had all those injuries and was actually back on a bike in the rehab center less than two weeks after it, and then six weeks after it was out in the road on my bike again. That just shows me how mentally tough I've become. And if you think about the conversation we had at the beginning of this podcast, you know, if you think about the transformation of me in 2019, where I was at the start of that year, I was the boy who cried wolf. I was the guy who was indecisive, who was flaky, who couldn't commit to anything, who was always changing his mind, who felt mentally weak and overwhelmed by the, the choices. And I'd, I'd let fear stop me cycling around the world so many times. And you think about where I was at the end of 2019, you know, I got hit at 70 miles an hour and there I am a few weeks later back in the bike and determined to finish the challenge. I don't know what to say. I'm just, I've just taken so much from that and just, I just feel so bulletproof. Mm. For the second time, uh, the last time we talked, I remember you telling me about when, when you had the car crash and you had the suicide attempt and you were fine after that, that the movie Unbreakable came to my mind. And I think at the time you said you hadn't seen it, it was Bruce Willis, but uh, it, it just came to me again there. So you are extremely lucky fortunate there's a guiding light there's whatever is kind of looking after you and i think because of some of those things that have happened in the past your resilience has been built up so much as well that you know it definitely seems nothing is going to uh throw you off course just to maybe finish up then when are you what is the plan obviously i know at the moment we're on lockdown is the plan to get back to the point at which where you crash to finish that out is that something in the works yeah, so obviously I need, I need to finish cycling around the world. That is my, my that is my number one top priority, which I'm committed to doing. And the plan for that was the plan was to fly back to America in April, mm. uh, the first week of April, and I was to go and finish the, the cycle across America and the final three and a half thousand miles of the round the world. The, the amazing thing about that is that I was I was ready, I was fit, I was I was ready to go and. 
if it wasn't for the coronavirus situation, I would I would have been finished that by now and I'd have been back home ready for the next chapter. Obviously, things have been changed at the moment with everything that's going on in the world. So for now, that's on hold. But I'm I'm not on hold. Like I'm I'm still training. I'm still training. I'm actually training harder than I've ever trained because I'm still I'm still so motivated and still so driven. And I, and the most important thing is that even on the days I don't feel motivated, I'm just committed. So for me, the commitment's the thing that gets me through. And you know I'm 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 ready. I'm ready to go. I'm just waiting for the call. And you know when when I'm allowed back to America, I will I will be there and I'll go and finish that cycle. When I go back, what I'm doing, I'm actually quite excited for this. Is I'm actually I'm organising a big group cycle between basically the the hospital that I was in was in a place called Temple, and then I was moved to a rehab centre in Austin. Then about I think it's about seventy miles between them. I'm going to do a big group cycle with loads of cyclists in Texas from from the hospital to the rehab centre. Um, that's just going to be quite nice for me because there was when I was in Texas, you know the when you talk about that experience and why I say it was like such a great experience and why I took so much from it one of the th- one of the most amazing things is you know the, the like texas will always have a place in my heart now and it's such a special place for me and that may sound weird because it was where i got hit by the car but it's i don't think about getting hit, hit by the car i think about you know it was a place where when, when i was in hospital i literally had hundreds and i'm not joking like hundreds of visitors hundreds of people just local people from the area who heard about the story in the local media and in the newspapers and on Facebook who came and visited me and came and brought me gifts and came and brought me loads of stuff. And, you know, there were some people that came and they brought brought me clothes and new trainers and just all the things that I needed. You know, I was I was not needing anything when I was there because I was so looked after by the people of Texas. And so I wanted to do something with them when I go back. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to going back onto the road where I was hit. And, you know, riding that road again and, you know, taking care of that unfinished business. Mm. Fair play to you, Josh. It's a, it's a fascinating update on the last couple of years. And, and no doubt there's a lot more of uh, goals to be achieved into the future. I'm looking forward to uh, tracking that and talking to you again in, into the future. Anything to just wrap up on your side, Josh, you wanted to share? Any, anything folks can check out on, on uh, in, in your own space? Yeah, some, something that I always always say at the end of podcast interviews or any interviews now is that, and it's something that I actually get really excited about, is that now, because you've always been part of this journey and you've, you know, you've interviewed me a couple of times now, my, my big plans and my big goal, my big mission, as I spoke about earlier, for once I'm finished cycling around the world, is to, is to win the Tour de France. And, you know, I want to be and I will be the first ever Scottish winner. And that's going to mean so much to me to, to bring home Scotland's first ever winning jersey. is just going to be so, so special for me. And so what I would end this podcast by saying is that since you've been here on a journey with me, I just want to extend an invitation to you and say that when I do it, I want to make sure that you're going to be in Paris to see it. Sounds good. I'll be there. We can, uh, we can, I can cycle beside you and maybe hold a microphone yeah. out. We can do a bit of recording. Yeah, abs- yeah absolutely. Count me in. I've all, when you, when you talk about just one final point, you're talking about goals and, you know, dreams and things like that. Uh, you know, I've got so much energy and momentum behind this now. You, you would not believe the amount of people that I've invited to Paris already. And so that's, you know, that's something I think about on a daily basis that, you know, it's just, I've got so much energy behind this. And yeah, I would, I would love for you and, you know, MD who's listened to this podcast, if anything I've said has resonated, anything's inspired, anything's been useful in any way, you know, drop me a message on social media. I'm just Josh Quigley 92 and, you know, to anybody who wants to come on this journey with me, I will remember everybody who was there in the beginning days as I was trying to become a pro. And then when I get to the top, when I get where I'm going to go, I'm going to remember all the people who were there in the beginning who came with me. Brilliant. Well, look, you're, you're still, what age, you know, Josh, 27 or 8? 27. 27 you still have you know lots of just, really good years ahead like coming into your prime just getting just getting warmed up just getting warmed up yeah i think the, the thing for me is that you know there's i'll be honest there's times when i've been on the bike and i thought you know what you know i wish i never done all that stupid stuff when i was younger mm. and you know I, I wish i just you know imagine i just got into cycling when i was so basically see rather than starting to drink alcohol at 12 which is what i done Imagine I started cycling at 12. Sometimes I think like that, but then, do you know what? I think that's that's a losing mindset to have. I don't I don't think like that. I think that, you know, I had all the years I had when I was growing up. And to be honest, I had a lot of fun. I've got some good memories. It wasn't all bad. It was only bad in the end during that depressive period. But for the most part, I had a lot of fun when I was younger, drinking and doing all that stuff. The most important thing is now is where I'm at and where I'm going. And you know what? I'm starting late in cycling, but 
you know, I think that I'm not going to peak for at least a good 10 years probably. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to go late. And a big dream of mine is, you know, I'm going to be that guy who's still doing the races when he's like 99. Like that's a big dream for me. I'll, I'll still be gone. Mm. I've got a lot more years left in me. Yeah, well, I, I interviewed a guy from home two weeks ago uh, who's an Olympic swimmer. He's qualified for the Tokyo Olympics. He's a, a late bloomer himself. He didn't really get into serious competitiveness until he was 22 or so and then within two years he qualified for the olympics because he had the right training behind him he had the right team he had the right nutrition so i think now more than ever getting those you know the right people around you and the, the commitment uh, going all in makes a huge difference so so look best of luck with that best of luck with the the focus uh, really looking forward to seeing that come to fruition over the next while and let's definitely stay in touch josh yeah, thanks, Rob. I will see you in Paris. I'll see you before then, but definitely see you in Paris. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. All right. Thanks a million. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone, pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. Any will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free and interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.